here we go. All right, let's go, man. We got Umar Ashraf. It's Umar Ashraf, right? Ashraf, there you go. Gotcha. We are here. Amazing options trader. I think you're the number one options trader on YouTube. I mean, I'm trying to be. I'm trying to be right now. Trying to get there. They had yeah. One the other time. Yeah. Like I've been. I your Q and A's recently have been amazing on Instagram. I'll never. One of the most impactful advice is in trading ever. I think I've ever had is what you said about structure. You go. If you don't have structure in your real life, if you don't have structure in your love life, your family life, all this, you're not going to have structure. The structure is going to not apply as hardcore as it should be when it comes to trading. But you phrase it way better. It's like I think about that a lot because what you do in life really what you do in trading kind of applies in life and what you do in life really applies in trading. Like I remember when my mentor taught me about you let the trade come to you. And in life, I've been doing that lately. It's like I let certain things come to me. I don't stress too much about what I want it to be, where I want it to go. And yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I always go by that saying, because the whole idea is what you do with anything is how you do everything. Yes. Right. So it's like, I, I personally believe you can't be disciplined with one thing and not disciplined in something else. So you have to be disciplined in all areas of your life for it to carry over to something else. So in trading, let's say, for example, you're not disciplined with going to, to the gym or not disciplined on sleeping right and taking care of yourself you're not randomly just going to wake up and be disciplined when it's time to trade. Mm -hmm. So every aspect of your life has to be really taken care of the right way. And if that's taken care of, that will automatically, you know, reflect into trading whatever career path you're taking. Right. Yeah. I'm reading Outwitting the Devil right now. And he talks, have you read that book? Which one? Outwitting the yeah, Devil. Yeah, I heard about it. I haven't read it. I, I skimmed through it probably four years ago. Very controversial book, extremely. Yeah. But the, the devil talks about how if you drift in one direction, you drift in all directions. Mm -hmm. Of course. And so structure, ever since you told me that advice, that's kind I probably think about that multiple times a day. Well, I guess to put it on your story, your advice. But yeah, I'm really interested to know your story because what do they say? 90% of options traders lose money. They say 90% of traders overall lose money. Yeah. Um, I disagree with that. I don't think that's a fair statement for you know many, many reasons because I think trading is a career where it's very easy to get into. Mm -hmm. right? So for example, right now you can go and open up an account and trade right off the bat. And then if you fail, you kind of get categorized in that 90% of people. Like, oh, I failed. But it's kind of like, imagine imagine you can be a doctor overnight. Imagine you can go perform surgery right now. And yeah. you go perform surgery and fail. It's going to have the same saying that 90% of people that are surgeons fail. Right. But because that's because they are not having the proper education, proper training. Now, if you take the same traders and you make them go through a training, make them actually go through like a whole practice or an internship, that 90% rate is going to be a lot different. Mm -hmm. You know, so I don't, I don't really think it's a fair, fair saying at all. Yeah. And a lot of people, once they lose like a hundred bucks, they're like, they give up. I see it happen all the time, man. Mm -hmm. I see people lose a little bit of money and I'm like, wait, you can't just give up because you lost a little bit, a little bit of money. And they're like, oh, well, I've been trying. And I'm like, I'm like, you're not actually trying. Right. You know, you can't say that you started trading a month ago. And you're just because you're in front of your computer and taking wild plays, that's trying. That's not really trying. You know, if you're journaling and you're actually putting the time and effort and you're giving yourself a year, at least in my opinion, that's what I consider trying. Right. Yeah. I look at those initial losses as tuition. Oh, yeah. I think that's what everything. I think anytime you do anything new, you're going to fail. And I think you need to fail because if you don't fail, because my thing is, if let's say with trading, if you don't fail initially and you fail in two years from now, that loss two years from now is going to be a lot wider and a lot bigger than it is now. So you'd rather take the small hits now so you can learn from them, grow from them, and experience them. 
because even in, in certain businesses, let's say like e-commerce, you need to go through certain hits so you can understand it. So when it comes in two years and it's a bigger trade or a bigger hit, that could be a bigger hit, you know how to deal with it so it doesn't become enormous. Right. Making the making the mistakes on the small scale. What? 100%. So I tell people when you hit, when you go through certain mistakes starting out, enjoy it, learn it, mm-hmm. and, and move on from it. And you, you posted recently about how you can't manage a thousand, you can't manage ten thousand. Yeah, 10, exactly. So it's like you, you got to look at what you have right now and and do the best you can with that. Gotcha. And then as more comes, just you know keep scaling from there over and over again. A hundred percent. So take me to the start. Okay. Of was options like in your head when you were like a teenager, when you were growing up, or when? What was the first entrepreneurial venture that you had? All right. So I actually had a few. One that I remember was when I was eighteen. I started a property company where we would work with uh, banks that are foreclosing homes. And where is this at? Uh, this was in New York. New York. So, so I, you're from New York. I'm from New York. Gotcha. Okay. So I, I was raised in New York. I was born in Pakistan. But uh, so I was 18 and I started that company and it failed. Right. Right off the bat, it failed super hard. This is after I traded. So I started off with 20 grand trading. Mm-hmm. I blew that money. Yeah. I lost it all. After I lost it, I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to trade. This is not easy. This is hard. Let me go start a company. So I went and I started a property solutions company where we're working with banks. And as banks are foreclosing homes, they need the houses cleaned up and, and so on. So we started getting contracts, but I, were, I wasn't getting any contracts. Like We got approved with a lot of city agencies, but you know we didn't get any contracts for six months. So I was like, okay, this isn't it. Close that down. Then I started sell, selling websites at a certain point. So I would buy domain names and flip them. So just the domain name. Okay. And then sometimes I would buy an existing website, build it up to a domain name, and then go sell it to somebody. So I would use Fiverr.com, mm-hmm. find certain people, build out a certain website, yeah. customize it, and then go sell it for like a thousand, two thousand dollar premium. Wow. While at the same time, I was still like, I still had my feet in stocks. Mm-hmm. After I lost money, I was like, okay, I lost money, but I still want to keep learning. And what year is this right now? This was, I was 18. So this was like seven years ago. Seven years ago. Okay. So you're 25? I'm 25 now. Got the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 25 now. Awesome. So where, what, when did you start phasing back into stock trading? What convinced you to? I think even when I lost my money, I was never really pushed away from it. It was just, I didn't have the funds to go right back in. Because I had 20 grand, I built to 35 and then it blew all of it. So then it was like, okay, I want to trade, but I obviously need money. Mm-hmm. So now how can I go out and make money? But at the time I was still trying to make money. I was still kind of interested in looking into the stock market. So I never really stepped away. But I think my biggest motivator was the fact that when I started trading, everyone, including family and friends, would say, oh, you can't make money trading. Yes. You can't make money trading. Yeah. It's not real. It's not going to happen. So when I did lose my money, and obviously everyone knew like, oh, I blew 20 grand and so on. Mm-hmm. They, were, they were like, I told you. See, I told you. Yeah. And I was like, oh, man, like, I got to figure out a way. I got to figure out a way. And it just it just started eating me alive at that point. And I, I'm very competitive. So I think at that point, it was more so about I need to prove them wrong that I can do well in trading. Right. Now, if I, if I go back to it and I think if those people weren't there, I probably would have gave up trading. Yeah. Right. I would have been like, oh, whatever. It's not working out. I think that's that was like my driving force. Wow. Yeah. And what what do you think caused you to lose the 20 grand? Like, did you put in the proper education or how, what was your strategy even back then? I had then? no strategy. I was 18. I was in high school, so I have an early birthday in January. Mm-hmm. So as soon as I turned 18, I had 20 grand saved up. And I just went right into the market with no strategy. My first trade was JCPenney, right? So I got in JCPenney because JCPenney was like, I think at the time at nine or 10 bucks. 
And I was like, oh, JCPenney is never going to go down. They have to go up. I see them all the time. So I bought JCPenney at 10. It went all the way down to four. And then oh it went back to 12. So I was down 50% at, at a point. But I just, oh, but you held. On that, I made money. Okay, good. So I made two grand on that trade about. And I was like, wow, I made two grand. This is so easy. Great. And I kept doing it until my account got to 35 grand. Once it got to 35 grand, that's when I'm like, okay, I got it. I figured out what I'm, I'm going to do. I'm going to trade. This is with no education, not knowing anything. All beginner's luck. Mm -hmm. And the next thing you know, everything started going downhill. 35K, 30K, 28 24, 22, yeah. you know, and then 18, 16, 15. And I'm like, whoa, what's going on? And the next thing you know, I'm at 2K and I'm like, okay, I, I got to stop. I got to figure this out. And was this with options or literally? no, just stocks. Really? Yeah, yeah, stocks. Options actually got into options about a year and a half ago. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So before I was trading equity stocks only. Gotcha. So stocks is, is, is similar to options. Options move accordingly to the stock. Right. So you need to know how to trade stocks for you to go and, you know, trade options. So I just got into options just because I felt you can make more money. Mm -hmm. But right now I trade both stocks and options. Would you say mainly options or mainly stocks? Uh, lately, I would say in the past two, three months, more stocks. Okay. About the past year, year and a half, I was more options. And I think I'm going into stocks right now because uh, options are a little bit more risky and I'm not trading as aggressively right now because I'm working on a new project, TradeZello, which we'll get into. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm not actively trading as much. So I don't want to go and trade options, which, you know, there's problems with liquidity getting filled and so on. So I've kind of taken a little step back. Right. Yeah. Okay. So after the real estate business, what happened from there? So when that failed, uh, you know, obviously it hits your confidence a little bit. Oh yeah. Like, oh man, like shit, what am I going to do? And at this time I'm still going to college. So I'm, I went oh, to really? college for three semesters. Which college? Uh, CSI. CSI. Yeah. It's a college of Staten Island in New York. So I was going to college primarily because of my mom. My You're mom right. was like, I want you to go to college, please do it for me, do it for me. And I was like, mom, I, I really don't want to, you know, I'm not really interested. No, please for me. So I was still in college. Uh, I lost 20 grand. I didn't have any savings. Mm -hmm. And now at this point, I, I've also started that business, which technically failed. So now you get in your head and you're like, oh, am, can I be an entrepreneur? Will I be successful? Will mm -hmm. I make money? Will I ever get there? Oh, it's way harder than it looks. And, you know, that starts crushing you mentally. Oh, yeah. Right. And especially when you're in college, because now you're hearing different things from people around you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just stay in college, you get a regular job, do this, do that. And, you know, slowly, if you listen to that noise too much, you start believing it. Yeah. And there are times, honestly, where I was like, you know what? I don't, I don't think this is for me, but then obviously you got to get yourself out of it. And you're like, no, screw this. Let me, you know, move forward. Uh, so once that failed, then I started doing the website stuff, you know, flipping domains buying domains, making them up for, uh, through fiber, connecting people, and, and just working through that. At the same time, I would go back to stock trading and say, okay, I need more capital to fund my account again, right? Mm -hmm. Then I'm like, okay, every day I would look up different ways to make money. How can I make money online? How can I make do this? How can I do that? So then I would just come up with different ideas, but not really start a company, but just try to learn as much as possible. Gotcha. As I started learning more and more, I would just keep going back to trading mm -hmm. over and over. Like, trading is it, trading is it. And how were you getting your education in trading at the time? Uh, I, didn't, I didn't know much. I, I think I was, I was very, I was in a way, I was very lazy with the, with the education aspect. It's like, you know, when you get a new, let's say furniture and it's like read the instructions and you're like, oh, I'm not going to read it. I'll figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so that's, that's what I was doing. I was like, I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. So I would have one good trade. I'm like, I got it. Mm -hmm. I have another good trade. I got it. And then 10 bad trades, one good trade, 10 bad trades. I'm like, whoa, what's going on? So then I'm like, you know what? I got to a point where I was like, I really, really need to understand what I'm doing wrong and understand what I need to do. 
Gotcha. So then I would just read a bunch of different books, watch a different, a lot of different YouTube videos. And the problem with that, what I've learned over the years is when you watch a lot of different YouTube videos and read different books, you're getting information, but some information in my opinion is wrong, mm -hmm. right? So you might see someone on YouTube with, you know, 200K subs or a million subs and he or she might tell you to do this and you're like, oh, because they have this many subs, they're right. Yeah. You know, and then you go apply it and it doesn't work and you keep doing it because you're like, it worked in that video. And then over the years, I've learned like, hey, that's not actually a good way of trading. That's not realistic. That's not a good approach. So then when I started getting a lot of books and started reading different concepts and different formats of trading, I started picking up like, okay, this is what I need. I need a structure. I need to have an edge. I need to know what I'm trading. I need to have proper risk management implemented. If I have all these things implemented, I will get a better understanding and I'll have an edge in the market. So then it was like, okay, how do I develop that? What trades do I look into? So I started reading like a bunch of different books. I know one book I read was Market Wizards. That was a good book. Market Wizards? Market Wizards. I, hope. Uh, I forgot the guy's name. I think Mark something. That was a good book. Uh, then I, I read another one, Trading for a Living, Day Trading for a Living, something mm. I think it's called. Uh, that was also a good book. So just taking that set of information and putting it together and just, you know, dissecting into it to get mm -hmm. a better understanding. So when you went and after you read all the books and everything, you started trading again, did you immediately start making money no, this time or you no. just kept losing? I still kept losing. But then after I kept losing, I, I realized my biggest problem was risk management. Ah, right. So yeah. I, I would go into a trade without really defining my risk, right? So it's like, for example, back then, if I was to get into a trade with 10 grand, I wouldn't know where I'm gonna take a loss. So it's like, I would buy a stock, let's say at 10, I would not look at my downside. I would say, you know what, I'm gonna buy it at 10, this stock is gonna go up, why, why, why should I even care to look at the downside? It's not gonna go down. Right. Buy it at 10, it goes to nine. Oh, it's okay, it's going down a little bit. It goes to eight, okay, wait, hold on. It goes to seven, I buy more. It yeah. goes to six, I buy more goes to four. Okay, I got it at four. It's cheaper. I buy more. Next thing you know, I'm fully invested into one stock and I'm down 60-70%. And I'm just blowing through my money at that point. Mm -hmm. So then moving forward, what I started doing is, okay, if I buy the stock at 10, if it goes to nine, I got to get out. Okay. You know, like, I, I, I don't care. I need to get out. So your risk management is 10%? Uh, not really. I think uh, follow a 2 or 3% rule, depending on the trade. Some trades I would have a high risk management if I'm super confident in the trade and I have an edge, but I would typically keep it at two to three percent wow. per my account size. Gotcha. But at that time I wasn't. At that time I would lose thirty percent on a trade, mm -hmm. make fifty percent, lose ten percent, lose five percent, make one percent, lose fifty percent, and it would just have my account equity going up and down, which is not super good trading right. at all, you know. For options trading though, you don't have the two per three percent rule, right? Yeah, it's harder. For options, hard. it's, it's way harder options uh see the thing with options in my opinion i think anyone starting out should not touch options mm -hmm. i think anyone that wants to start trading stay away from options off the bat oh yeah because with options if you put a thousand dollars and your option expires by that day you can lose all your money yeah right with stocks not necessarily especially if you're trading big name stocks like apple amazon right microsoft and so on so options the thing with options is or trading it's very hard to execute on your plan. So even like I was saying, like, oh, I would get in the stock at 10 and I would tell myself if it gets to nine, I'm going to exit. A lot of times the stock got to nine, I didn't exit. Mm -hmm. So then I'm like, whoa, what, what's happening? I have this plan, but when I'm in a trade, I'm not doing what I said I'm going to do. Then I started learning more about the human mind. Then I started learning like we're not as disciplined 
and as wired as we think we are. Mm -hmm. And when we trade, we have a monkey brain or a caveman brain that kicks in and messes us up. Mm -hmm. So that's what started happening. So now it's like, okay, I need to become more disciplined. How do I become more disciplined? How do I start doing this? How do I start controlling my mind? And I think that became the biggest challenge in trading, right? Just to control my mind and understand my thought process. And is this when you start implementing hard stops? Uh, yeah, this is when I was doing hard stops. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So I was just trying to learn as much as possible about that. Gotcha. Okay, so then when did you start making like pretty good money? Like when did you say, one would say, figure it out? Uh, I, w I would say it took me about two and a half years, right? It took me about two and a half. Two, and how, two much, and a half. how much money lost? I think uh, up until then, I lost maybe 60, 70 grand. Wow. But in my, by the time I was 20 and a half, I think that's when I made my first six figures. Mm -hmm. And that's when I was like, whoa, like, holy shit. Paid off. I was like, wow, like, I got it. Right. But it wasn't a one trade that was like, I made a hundred grand. Right. It was like 800 bucks, a thousand bucks, 500 bucks, 800 bucks, slowly accumulated to a hundred grand. And then I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, I think I kind of figured it out. What's going on? And this happened in a span of six months. Wow. Right? So I didn't make a hundred grand in a span of two and a half years. The first two and a half years was kind of like me doing an internship. Mm -hmm. Right. Then that six month period is where things started doing well. And I think the biggest thing that actually helped me was journaling. Yes. Just journaling my thought process. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. I lost $2,000 this week. This week was rough. Why was it rough? What was I thinking? What was going on in my mind? How can I improve? How can I make it better? And just being aware of my thought process. Because a lot of times what would happen in the past is let's say I have a bad week. I lose two grand. I lose three grand. Now mentally I would be like, okay, I lost three grand. I need to make it back. Yes. So the next day I would take on a big position that I wouldn't be comfortable with. Now, instead of you know making money, I'd lose six grand. Right. So I would never really be consistently growing. Mm. And that became like a big issue. Gotcha. Okay. So I remember, I know that recently you talked about a, a half a million dollar loss on the spy puts, right? Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about that because I remember I was like dabbling. This is right when I first started getting into stocks as it seems like a, probably too many people started getting into stocks mm -hmm. March 18th. And uh, it made no sense when the stock market kept going up. Mm -hmm. It kept going up. I remember watching your video and you're like, there's, it, there's no way because everything's shut down. You know, it, it has to be a second drop, a dead cat bounce. So you were talking like what happened there? Because you told me that you like figured out the risk assessment and everything. Was it just the size of the position and just the logic behind like the market should be going down? That yeah, happened? yeah. So I think like going back to it, I know where I messed up. And obviously, you know, 2020 now you, you go back you're like, okay, I, I see where I messed up. Yeah. In hindsight. Uh, so technically in that situation, I had a good month in February. Right. So January I made about 50 grand. I had a million dollar month in February. Woo. So that's what allowed me to take a half a million dollar position. Gotcha. Because now I think what happened was I didn't take a step back and reassess everything. Mm -hmm. I was on momentum. Yes. Like I made 50 grand and I made a million bucks. I'm like, okay, this is the year, you know, off trading. I'm going to make 10 million, 10 million bucks. The only way I'm going to do it is by taking risk. Okay. Mm -hmm. The market's dumping, the market bounced. And I got, I shorted the market actually before that big drop. Like it dropped. Uh, I remember in, in, in beginning of March when we had the first drop of, of SPY going to, I think, 280s mm -hmm. or two, 290s. That's when I shorted. That was like my first opening position gotcha. of like 150 grand. And I was up on that position. By how much? Position, I think I was up like 100% even. Oh my yeah, gosh. Yeah, I was up on that position. So I put in 150 grand. 
uh, market dumps for two, three straight days over and over again. So I'm up more, right? So I think my 150K at a point was like, you know, three something. So when it dumped and it recovered and bounced, that's where I started messing up. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know what? Market's got to go down. Let me look at the logical standpoint of view. The logical yeah. standpoint of view is everything shut down. Uh, this is going to overly impact the economy very negatively. Then I started going back to 2008, 2001, and I started noticing when the market dumped that hard, we had a bounce and then a continuation yeah. sell-off. So I was like, okay, we're going to see a continuation sell-off. But the biggest key thing I missed, and I think no one kind of anticipated, was that the feds were going to back up this economy. Yes as much as possible and it just started printing money like mm-hmm. crazy and i didn't think they were going to print this this amount of money i think they printed six or seven trillion dollars mm-hmm. right and it was like no they're going to print that much kept printing kept printing and they started injecting a lot of liquidity into the market yes right and that just started driving the market up and i think i was so invested into my position at the time and invested so much into the overall economy that i was like there's no way market's gonna go up but now looking back at it you know, with inflation going up and people not knowing where to put the money, a lot of money is going into the market. Right. The Fed's backing up the market as much as they did. It was kind of a no-brainer at this point. You know? Yeah. And I messed up. And the sec- a third mistake I made was I didn't hedge my position. Because at that point, when I built up a position of half a million, I was like, let me take 100 grand and buy 320 spy calls mm-hmm. for November. Just 100 grand, let me put it in. In my head, I was like, no, I'm not going to be wrong. Yeah. It's not going to go up. Why am I going to lose 100 grand? That 100 grand itself would have been tenfold, even more. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Even even more than tenfold. Yeah. Because right? I think the premiums at that time, a spy at that point was like 230s, mm-hmm. 240s, right? And and the premiums were dirt cheap compared to what they are now. Right. Right. So I that 100 grand would have been 10 or 20-fold. So that would have just recouped my losses and plus more. Oh, yeah. But I was like, no, it's not going to go up. There's no way. And I think because of that momentum I had the first two months and that high I was on, you just feel invincible. Yeah. Right. So it was, I think that's what kind of messed me up. With that loss, you're still at 1.5 million for the year. Yeah. So I I was able to recoup, right? I took that loss and it took some time away from trading just because every trade I made afterwards was bad. Mm -hmm. Right. So I shorted Zillow at a point, not with major, major size, but I shorted Zillow at 35, 36 bucks. Oh man. Zillow went to 80. Yeah. Right. Uh, I shorted Tesla. And what was Tesla at before? Pre split about, I showed it at a 500. Mm-hmm. And, but I, I was playing options. So I, you know, lost 90% of the option value. But yeah. the good thing was I didn't play with a lot of money. I think I played with 40 or 50 grand. Okay. Right. So initially I was going to go and play Tesla with like two, 300 grand. Oh, man. But it was more so because I was like, oh, you know, their factories are going to stay shut. If everything stays shut, they're going to miss, uh, miss their numbers. And missing their numbers is really going to affect them. But obviously things flipped and the market just pumped up. Mm-hmm. So I just started making bad trades after bad trades after bad trades. And another thing I messed up on was I was trading and my spy position and Tesla position, Zillow position was me swing trading. So I was holding a position overnight or for a week. Gotcha. So I, I kind of started altering my trading strategy, which was like, why am I altering it? Where I should have never shorted the market and held overnight. Gotcha. I should have kept doing what was working. So your option strategy is generally same day. Same day. Gotcha. I'm, I'm in and out. I'm going in with size, 100 contracts, 200 contracts, getting in, getting out on big drops, big moves up. And, and that's about it. But what I, what I did with SPY was because I was chasing such a big year and I had such a big start. Yeah. I was like, this is it. I'm going hit to hit the 10 million market trading this year. So let me go and short. And I'm not going to go small. I gotcha. want to make a good amount of money. Mm-hmm. So I think I got caught up in that and that just you know threw my whole 
month or next few months off because from March till June, I wasn't really trading well. I was mm -hmm. taking a step back and just kind of readjusting because it really takes a big mental toll on you, right? And it's not the money aspect because obviously losing half a million dollars is, is, is sucks regardless. Right. But I think it was more so because I put my positions, like every time I take a big position, I put it out there. Mm -hmm. Right. So I was on YouTube, I was on Instagram, I was in my community in stock market lab. And I put that out there like, Hey, I'm shorting the market, not saying you should do it, but this is why. Yeah. So when that went against me, obviously everyone comes out, ha ha, you suck. Ha ha, this, that. Oh, and they're just like, waiting. And you're like, Oh man, like, you know, so that, that, that was what it was, mm -hmm. but thank God I'm still up about 1.5 for the year. Mm -hmm. I was able to recoup some, but I do think I left a lot of money on the table this year. Mm -hmm. because of that one bad trade. Like if that one bad trade didn't happen, I kept day trading, right? Uh, maybe not, but I think I would have kept the momentum up and I would have caught a lot of moves up and I would have caught a lot of moves down that happened. Mm -hmm. But because I took that step back, that opportunity cost hit me hard. Gotcha. Yeah. And it's okay if you don't want to talk about this, but I, th I remember because I just it just popped in my head, like I think like seven months ago, wasn't didn't someone like call you out saying that like, Something about your account because I remember you posting a video of your. Oh account. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it was no one called me out. What happened was, so we had a trader in the community, and some traders I'm not gonna take names, but there were people posting fake profits. They're posting mm -hmm. screenshots. So a lot of started posting screenshots, and a lot of people started doing inspect element with their statements. Right, right. right. It's like when you go on Google Chrome and change stuff. Yeah, up. right. So a few people got caught, and then when they got caught, now it's like everyone starts pointing fingers. No, okay. they're like, okay. This person's fake. That person's fake. This person's fake. Is Umar fake? Gotcha. Right, because everything I posted before was primarily screenshots, a few videos, but all screenshots, right? Mm -hmm. So then when that happened, I was like, whoa, 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 wait, where's this coming from? So when I started looking into it, you know, a lot of people got busted for posting fake screenshots. So then that's where I was like, you know what? How do I get get myself out of that? So I was like, the only way to get myself out of that is log into my actual trading account and show my year to date. Mm -hmm. like, there's no screenshots, there's no cropped videos. It's an actual login. So I posted and I was like, here you go. Like, you know, I'm not posting screenshots moving forward. I'm not gonna post daily profits. I'll post my quarterly results so you guys can see how I'm doing. And, and that's about it. Gotcha, okay, I'm glad you cleared it up. Cause I, I, was, I was confused. I thought there, you had like beef with like another YouTuber or something oh, like no, that. Oh, no, 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 it wasn't. It was just a lot of Instagram noise. Gotcha. And okay. I, I, I don't want to be caught up in it, but it was at that point, I think it was needed mm -hmm. because they got caught with fake screenshots and they couldn't go and defend themselves. Yeah. Right. So when people started pointing fingers at me, like, wait, are you real? You post screenshots too. Yeah. I was like, wait, well, hold on. Here's a video. Conversation closed. Gotcha. You know, that, that was the whole thing. Yeah. The Instagram noise can be an issue. Oh, yeah. yeah. 100%. I, I just noticed when I was in the parking lot, actually, that you only follow three people. Yeah, so the reason I unfollowed people from that is because a lot of fake accounts like you see on Instagram are being created on a lot of people. Yeah. Right? They're like scamming people. Oh, so yeah. So now it's like if I'm just following my three people, people know if another fake Umar account messages them, it's not really me because I'm not even following Gotcha, it. okay. Because there's like so many people that got scammed. Uh, it's not even with me. It's just with, I think, anyone on Instagram that has somewhat of a following. Mm -hmm. People are creating fake accounts and saying, hey, I'll invest for you. Hey, send me. And people are actually sending money. Like people and people message me all the time, man. And they're like, hey, I sent it to a fake Instagram. Can you send it back to me? Like, what do you mean? Why, why do you want it back from me? Why would you send it to someone that I don't even follow? And I why like you're at, someone's telling you, hey, give me $20. I'm going to make it into 20 grand. If you sent it, I'm sorry, you deserve to get scammed. Yeah. Like, how are you falling for that? Right. Yeah. So I, I just like I was like, you know what? I need to 
get myself out of that, just follow my three accounts. So if someone messages anyone, it's like, hey, he doesn't follow them. It's not real. And in terms of distractions, I bet it's wonderful. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Distraction wise, it's it's amazing. I think um, that like the thing with Instagram is, you know, when you're on it, sometimes you go in a rabbit hole. Yes. Sometimes you're just on some weird page on someone yep. you don't know. And you're like, what's going on? And for hours, it goes on for hours. So when I did that, I think it allowed me to not go on Instagram and scroll through feeds. Mm-hmm. Now it's like post whatever I need to post and get off. Yes. Post, get off, get post, get off. Have you seen the social dilemma yet? Oh, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. After seeing that, that's, I think that was like a huge wake up call. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I never really looked at my screen time before that. And I looked the other day. I was like, ooh, that's, that's a lot. But then I, my buddy showed me his and just, uh, in the past seven days, he's been on Instagram for 25 hours, an wow. entire day a week, wow. just on Instagram. Wow, That's minus all the other apps. You, you know what the thing about that is? It's people don't understand how bad it is for your brain. Yeah. It's very like when you look at the effects on your brain, it's very similar to you doing cocaine. Oh, really? Yeah. Like literally, there's like a whole documentary on that. It's when you go on social media, that dopamine hit is very similar to like doing drugs. Wow. Right. And and that's why a lot of people have depression nowadays. That's why a lot of people can't focus. Mm-hmm. That's why a lot of people are unfulfilled because they get constant dopamine hits. So it's like when you have to sit in a room for eight hours and do high quality work, you can't do it because that high quality work is not going to give you instant gratification mm-hmm. and you're not going to get dopamine hit. Yeah. Right. And Instagram constantly gives it to you. So I, even people watching this video right now are listening. I'm pretty sure they go on their phone every two seconds and check something. Right. They'll go on Instagram, even if they don't have to go. And that's because their brain needs that drug. Mm-hmm. And that's like so bad for you. Like you're better off doing drugs at that point <laughs> than like actually, you know, being on your phone and, and allowing it to control you. Yeah. yeah. It's a, uh, we got a lot of drug addicts out oh, here yeah. and they don't even know it. Yeah. Yep. And that's how, you know, like even watching the documentary, that's what's being controlled. Like that's the, the whole perspective and the agenda they have. They want you to be addictive to your phone so they make more money. Yeah. yeah. So you were living in Florida. And then you obviously have had a phenomenal year and a half, two years. Well, how long have you, would you say you've been very successfully trading? Uh, I think since 21 is when things started picking up. I think I really, really got good at trading. I would say at 23. So about two years ago, gotcha. that's when I really got good at like actually trading. And I think uh, about a year ago is when I really took off because before that I was doing a lot of in-person classes right uh, for stock market lab work training people and so on but it came to a point where i felt like cool i'm making money on one side but it's impacting my trading yeah right so i was like okay like this is not good like i i just because the time investment time investment and you know it, it just drains you out yeah you know, teaching four days on, on trading over and over again just was draining me out so i was like you know what i'm gonna cut this off and the great thing about those classes where i was i was not spending any money on on marketing nothing I would just say, hey, LA, I'm having a class. Boom, 30 seats sold. Like on Instagram? On Instagram, literally. Wow. Hey, uh, uh, Toronto, I'm having 30, 30 uh, class, 30 people, boom, class sold, right? And it was such, from like a business perspective, it was such easy money. Right. So it was very easy to go into it and say whatever. But then I think the hard part was cutting that off mm-hmm. and saying, you know what? I don't care. I need to cut this off and I need to focus on the long game. I need to focus on trading and see how I can take my trading to the next level. Yeah. And I think I stopped the in-person classes last summer. And when I stopped them, that's when my trading really, really took mm-hmm. off because I had a lot of more time to myself just to focus and just to kind of get into rhythm and momentum. And that just elevated my trade. And just mental energy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mental energy is so important, man. Like, have, have you ever done consulting calls or mentorship or any of that? Uh, n- people have asked me to do one-on-ones. I'm not really a fan of it. Same. Um, Like, 
like personally, if I, if I, if I was to do a one-on-one, -on -one, I would probably charge two, three grand. Yeah. And I just don't want to do that just because I value my personal space and energy so much mm -hmm. that I, I, it's just not really, I don't think it's, it's worth it. Yeah. You know, but I have webinars for like stock market lab community. We do two, three webinars a week, uh, but nothing one-on-one. -on -one. Not yeah. really a fan of that right now. I'm the same way. I get that message all the time. And it's just like the end, the energy aspect. And then just like, I don't know. There, there's a situation where like you tell someone your price, it's your price. You yeah. tell, mm -hmm. you tell them it's your, what you value your time at. Mm -hmm. And then there's people who get offended because you said what your price is. It's yeah, like, so, I mean, you know, you can't, they can't get mad at that. Exactly. But they still do. And that's why it's like, at the end of the day, I think energy is way more important than money. I agree. 100%. You recently moved to California and I was just telling you before this, I saw him load up his svj and it's what 650 uh sv sv and uh 570 570 yeah. okay and i thought he was just coming to la for like two weeks and i'm like no. damn <laughs> he brought both cars with him no, but no. you moved out here yep and how are you liking it so far uh, i'm liking i think the cool part about california for traders there's like a positive and negative the positive is you're done by like 8 a.m mm -hmm. right so it's like when you're done you have breakfast you go to gym whatever you have like a whole day to yourself yes right? that's the cool part the negative is if you're not a morning person, like I'm not a morning person, right? right. I hate waking up in the morning. Mm -hmm. It's terrible. You have to be up at like 5 a.m. Yeah. Like it's it's terrible. That's like the only downside. But besides that, I, I think the weather's great. Uh, very high taxes. Oh, yeah. Taxis are insane. That's another negative. Yeah. So that's the downside to California. And do you guys have township taxes where you're at? I'm not sure sure yet. I don't think so. I'm not 100% sure. Because in Beverly Hills, it's an additional 10%. I know. In Beverly Hills, they have they have some additional tax there. But here, I'm not sure. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Here, I'm not sure yet. That's really good. So do you generally just trade the first couple hours of the market then? Yeah, I think there's the most volume the first hour to two hours. Yes. And I, I also think as traders, you want to limit yourself to an off time. Yeah. Right? So, for example... Let's talk about Eastern time, just because I'm more familiar with it. Market opens at 9.30 a.m., closes at 4 p.m. Technically, you can sit in front of your computer from 9.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. and trade the whole day away. Now, I think the negative of that is, A, your quality of life goes down. 100%. Because after a few hours, you know, you, you get tired. You, you Your brain gets foggy. You're not going to be able to execute at high levels. So I think you have to have a cutoff time. For me, it's like 11 a.m. Mm -hmm. that I need to get off my computer. Yeah. Right. Because a up until 11 a.m. Eastern time, uh, we have the most volume in the market. Mm -hmm. We have the most activity going on in the market. Right. So it's I think the most setups with the way I trade kick in at that particular time. I think anything after that market gets flat. So it's harder to make money. Mm -hmm. And also you're just kind of hurting yourself because your your capacity, your brain capacity is going down. So it's like That's imagine it. you're playing basketball. Right. And you're, you play through full four quarters without taking a break. Your, your production level is going to go down. 100%. So you need that break. You need that cutoff time to know when to, you know, sit out. Right. So for me, it's that 11 a.m. or, you know, 9 or 8 a.m. here time to stop and, and walk away. So when you first started, were you someone who just stayed in the market all day long? Yeah. Until 4, 4 p.m., like all day. And, and I think uh, my quality of life the first three years were shitty mm -hmm. because of trading. Because what would happen is, and I'm pretty sure a lot of people can relate, Friday ends. It's now the weekend and you're so like interested in trading, which is great. Love it. Enjoy it. You're like, I can't wait till Monday. So the whole weekend, you're just waiting for Monday. Yeah. You know, so it's like you miss out on life because you're waiting for something that's going to come anyways. So then I started learning that over the years where it's like, enjoy what's in front of you. Mm -hmm. It's Friday. Cool. Go out, enjoy Friday night. Enjoy Saturday. Enjoy Sunday. 
Now Monday market's going to be there. And it's be there, go and do what you need to do. Yep. Right? So the quality of life for me originally was, was terrible. I feel that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm the same way. I don't know if you know about my trading background at all, but essentially, um, long story short, I can't share the detailed details of this, but I met someone a year and a half ago at a mastermind. We stayed in touch. We stayed in touch. And then uh, March comes around. I moved back and I'm like, I met up with him in Vegas a bit. I talked with them. And then um, I said, oh, yeah, I'm interested in options trading, you know, because everyone's in, interested yeah, yeah, in options yeah, yeah, trading yeah. back in March. And he goes, oh, that's really interesting. Again, I've known this guy for now over a year. And he's like, I've, I've actually been trading for 22 years. And it's like, oh, OK, wow. I didn't think anything of it. I knew he was successful. Uh, and then he tells me that he did March 18th. He put 50,000 in and came out with 7.6 million. Wow. And then I gradually started learning more about him. We started talking for hours every day, like kind of took me under his wing. And I learned, I mean, he's the most wealthy person I know by like a long shot. And I didn't know for a year. And that's what I was saying before this. It's like, it's funny. The more, the wealthier people I know are. Exactly. So he doesn't really talk about that too much, but he's kind of taking me under his wing. We do the same thing two hours in the morning, but we do a lot of things um, so with obviously with price action. I know you're the same yeah, yeah. way, but we use uh, support and resistance lines and certain uh, hard stop risk factors for all that. So I got the whole setup at home. I got my Corsair with the double screen. Oh, nice, and nice. What platform are you using to trade? Uh, I'm using E-Trade, oh, okay. but for the for the actual charts, I'm using TC2K. Okay, okay. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do you have you used any of those before? I've used TC2K uh, a while ago, TC2000, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that I've used probably three, four years ago. Uh, E-Trade never used them. I'm using Interactive and Thinkorswim. I heard there's some issues because I was going to do Thinkorswim. Terrible. Yeah. They, they were good a year ago. And I think that's also a reason why I kind of stepped away from options or aggressively trading them because you're not getting filled as much. Mm -hmm. But right now I'm actually working with a prime broker. Like I literally spoke to him this morning and uh, we're going to use them for the firm Usher Capital. So that's like a firm that awesome. I was working on for a while where we're going to take traders under our wing, mm -hmm. fund them and have them trade our capital. Gotcha. So that's like finally coming alive in like the next month so that's what you're doing out here in this oh, yeah. office mm -hmm. yeah so we're gonna have like a bunch of traders out there and you know just give them capital manage them uh give them risk uh factors and so on and just give them certain edges and have them trade that capital gotcha so uh on the side of that you have stock market lab correct, correct? correct. and trade zella correct could you tell me a little bit more about both of those sure so stock market lab is just like an education company Right. It's okay. Not, it's okay. hey, you want to learn? Here's the full nine yards of everything you need to learn about. And this started as those in-person classes. Correct. Gotcha. So this started. There's a funny story behind this. So this started when I was actually in college. That's when the idea came up. Mm. Because people in in college were were like, hey, can you help me? Can you teach me? So I would help people out. And then someone goes, hey, why don't you do an in-person class? And I was like, no, no, no. I I hate public speaking. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing an in-person class. No way. Yeah. No way. No way. So for a year straight, it was no way. No way. And then finally, one day I, I woke up and I was like, you know what, screw it. I'm going to go on Instagram and I'm going to post it. I'm doing, doing an in-person class in New York and let's see what happens. I posted it and literally in like the same day it sold out. Amazing. 24 seats and people were like, yeah, yeah, I want to do it. I want to do it. I was like, wow. So that's kind of how it started building up. And how much were you trading, tr charging for the seats? At that time, I was charging 1200 right? Amazing. Yeah, yeah. With, you know, not knowing it's going to sell out. I was like 1200 whatever. Wow. And then after time, uh, I, I went up to three grand. Mm -hmm. Right, because your time becomes more valuable. Hundred percent. You know, so I started charging three grand, but then after another time, it was like, okay, I'm still selling 
my time for hours, regardless of how much the classes are making, I'm still selling myself per hour. And yes. I don't like that. I don't want to limit myself, you know, because the max I can do is 30 people, maybe 40. I'm still capped out at an X amount. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to do that. So I stopped that and we shipped it to online. Right. So when we shifted to online, our main focus was to walk a trader through A to Z of trading. Yes. Now, the problem with a lot of programs out there, in my opinion, is they're more focused on the marketing aspect than the actual teaching. Mm -hmm. So they'll they'll give you like a twenty nine dollar program, then upsell you, yeah. then cross sell you, then um, do this, and it's like no, this is what you need. You know, this is how much it is. This is the only thing you need to learn how to trade. Yeah, we're not gonna play no marketing games. We're not gonna sell you a two ninety nine program and then upsell you a five k program and yep. do all that. You know, marketing stuff. We're gonna tell you one program. We only have one program. No upsell, nothing. This is the only thing you need. Mm -hmm. You take it or you leave it. Yeah, and and just that. Yeah, so many people uh, have read certain books that talk about the value ladder, you need the value ladder, all this. And it's like, when I started my course, it was this, I know the information is good. I don't need to trick anybody. I don't need yeah, to yeah, do anything. Yeah. Like, I just want to put it all in there, right. keep it simple. Yep. And uh, so that's, that's interesting how you transition like that, because I'm the same way. I don't want to trade my time for money. Right. Uh, I think Gary Vee was talking about that the other day. So what is Tradezilla? compared to stock market lab is is that kind of like uh digital journaling yeah so tradezilla this idea i had for about a year and a half two years the idea was to create a platform where you can track your trades mm -hmm. uh the trades you input you get feedback on them so it's like you have a virtual coach so it's kind of like with apple how they have siri and amazon has alexa trading we're trying to make that into zello gotcha. so that's why it's called tradezilla so tradezilla or Zella is going to take your trading information and give you feedback. Like automatically import Automat it? Yeah. Oh, that's so awesome. we're connecting to starting brokers like TD Ameritrade, Robinhood, Webull, uh, E-Trade, Interactive, where you know once you connect your account, it's automatically going to sink in and you can see your trading performance. Now you can look at you know simple stuff as what days do you make the most money, Mondays, Tuesdays, what mm -hmm. times, what positions, how do you trade when the market is up 2%, how do you trade when the market's down 2%, like really going in depth. And then at the same time, Zella is going to take that information and give you feedback such as, Hey, this is a strategy you should be focusing on. This strategy only works when the market's up 2%, 3%. Yeah. The strategy doesn't work when the market's down. Why? Because when I track your trades, this is the information I'm getting back. Mm -hmm. And then another thing we're implementing is a whole community. So it's like, let's say you take on a trade, you can share your trade, share your entry, share your exits, where you got in, where you got at, why you got in and all that information. So people are now not only learning, from like an education aspect, they're also able to build themselves up by showcasing trades. Gotcha. And the cool part about it is if it's integrated with your broker, you can't edit anything. If right. I post a trade and I made a hundred grand, it'll say verified trade. Gotcha. So it's not like with starting platforms where you can change up the numbers and say, oh, look, I made a hundred grand this month. No, like it's not connected. Gotcha. No. Okay. And is it now, did you start that because like you recognize that there's a need for that? Like you, you, did you get tired of like always writing down? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Track so, yeah. So I, I was using an Excel sheet and obviously there's programs out there right now, but what I realized that they lack a lot of information for beginners, mm. right? So there's programs that really kind of track your trades, but you have to really know trading to understand it. Gotcha. Right. So for me, the biggest thing was tracking my trade. That's what really helped my trading elevate to, to the next level tracking my trades, tracking my emotions, tracking my thought process, tracking my consistency level on when I do well, when I don't do well, where I need to improve, where I don't need to improve. So at, when I first started, I was doing it all on a journal, mm -hmm. writing everything out. 
Then I went to an Excel sheet and I used some programs, but then that's where I re realized that the trading community lacks this aspect and someone really needs to go in and create a tool that can take a beginning beginner trader and tell them what they need to work on and also guide them. Like for example, let's say you just started trading two months ago and in two months you started with, let's say a five grand account and your account's at 4,400. Now you might say, oh man, I lost 600 bucks. But now having someone there to tell you, hey, you only started two months ago, you're down 600 bucks, which isn't a lot. Thank God you're still in the game. Right. Keep your head above water. Yeah. You know, so it's it's kind of focusing on that. And how do you have that community? Is that through Discord? Uh, no, Zella's community is going to be on the website itself. Gotcha. It's going to look something like Twitter. Okay, I yeah, see. So it's like you're going to go in and let's say today you say who traded Amazon. Mm -hmm. You'll see all the people that traded Amazon, how much they made, how much wow. they lost, where they got in, where they got out. And you can look at different people's points. Gotcha. And you can actually learn from that. Gotcha. Yeah. So tell me, what do you think your long goal? Well, I guess in so many, there's so many different things you're involved in right now. You got TradeZilla, you got Stock Market Lab, and you got your own personal uh, trading. Mm -hmm. Where long-term, and obviously what you're doing here in the office, but long-term, where do you see, like what goals do you hope to achieve coming up soon? As in, whether that be like real estate, I don't know if you're interested in doing that, like where do you see yourself overall in the next like five years? Sure. So my, my biggest focus right now is obviously on trading, just to grow my trading as much as possible and focus on the traders that come in here and try to manage them and, and grow them. The second goal is to grow TradeZella to a self-sufficient program and a software that people can actually benefit from, right? Stock Market Lab is kind of put on the back end. Uh, like we're not spending any money on marketing, no money on ads, nothing. It's just, hey, if people come sign up, great. The two main goals of trading in that. Now, the money that's being made from that, all of that money, my goal is to just keep reinvesting into real estate, keep buying real estate, keep buying real estate after TradeZilla is, you know, at a sufficient level because I'm funding it all myself right now. Right. So once it's kind of on its feet and operating and growing and you have a solid team, now it's like take all that money and, and dump it in real estate, dump it in dividend stocks, long-term plays just to build solid wealth. Do you have any real estate that you hold, currently hold right now? Uh, the house I have, I'm actually looking to buy some commercial right now. Oh, you bought the house? Yeah, yeah. I awesome. The house. Yeah, so some commercial right now and just trying to build that whole portfolio, you know, day by day. Yeah. But uh, just looking for deals. I think right now market is, in, is, is, is at a very high point. Oh, yeah. And once that high point kind of comes down, I think I'm definitely going to pick up some, some nice, nice stuff. Absolutely. And, and what state do you think? Uh, I'm in California, so most likely here. Gotcha. Yeah, most likely California for now. Like, I, I, whatever I buy, I want it close to me. Yeah. I don't want to buy in like Miami or yeah, buy yeah. in, you know, unless it's like my personal residence. But oh, investment yeah. wise, I think everything close. Yeah, California real estate's pretty wild. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's insane. Ridiculous. Do you think there's going to be a, a drop coming up here soon? I think maybe in like two, three years. I think with inflation going up and interest rates being low, mm -hmm. I don't think so, but I feel like commercial might take a hit. Yeah. It's just a matter of when. Right. Right. Uh, I don't see it happening anytime soon, but I do think the elections are going to kind of dictate a lot of things happening. Oh, yeah. yeah. When the election coming around, it's going to be very interesting to, mm -hmm. to watch just all the markets, honestly, the stock market, real estate market. Correct. Nobody really knows what's going to happen. I've, I've always seen, though, recently, or I've always thought recently that we've, we've had a crazy year. I don't think it's going to be anything compared to what's coming up in November and December. I think those are going to be some with COVID, with the election, with just so many things that could potentially happen and how it affects the market around me. And you mentioned inflation. I read somewhere that with what the feds did in March, April, and May, 
just in those three months alone, they decreased the value of the U.S. dollar by 4%. Oh, yeah. The U.S. dollar's taking a hit. So it's like if anyone's sitting on cash right now, get rid of it. And that's yeah. also why the market's going up because everyone's just dumping money into the yeah. market in real estate with interest rates going down. Houses or the value of houses or real estate's skyrocketing. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's like go buy something. Like for me personally, I think Bitcoin or crypto, that space is going to be huge. In a long yeah. Time. Like are, I, you, I, are you pretty uh, heavily invested? Yeah, I'm invested in too. I have Bitcoin. I have Ripple. I have a little bit of Litecoin and uh, Ethereum. Mm. Uh, I think it's going to be big in maybe the next 10 years. Yeah. Uh, but I don't want to be on that boat of saying, what if I invested X amount in Bitcoin? It would have, you know what I mean? Like right, I right. That. So I'd rather be invested and say, hey, if, if Bitcoin goes to shit, I knew what I got myself into. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I get uh, paid out from an affiliate through Bitcoin. So I just keep it all in there. The way the first time I invested in Bitcoin though was on accident. I was forex trading with a forex bot. Forex bot didn't go too well. Uh, it dropped like fifteen percent. So I took all the money out, and you had to like put it in through Bitcoin because they're an international firm or something like that. And then it came back into Bitcoin. I'm like, you know, I'll just leave it there for a couple of days, see what happens. And then that's when Bitcoin went from like uh, eighty five hundred to eleven thousand. Oh, wow. So I like literally recouped all my money, and I'm like, you know, I'm just gonna keep these Bitcoin. In there and just see what happens because uh the interesting thing about crypto is the pretty much the power the powers that be like the top top people they're all connected to like the banks mm -hmm. so i don't see them like just letting it go by so it's gonna be really interesting with your like these currencies are going up the uh, these currencies are going up against the biggest powers in oh, the yeah. world and that's why you see like dangerous drugs still on the market, mm -hmm. how the CDC can't even say decrease your sugar intake or, or increase your vitamin D levels is because there's so many weird things that play, so many things being lobbied. Um, the truth kind of gets muddied oh, yeah. in so many different fashions, even if it's not good for the human population in general. So it's going to be um, it's going to be a quite a time. And when you said you're interested in real estate, did you mean commercial or I residential? I think primarily uh, commercial. I'm, I'm, that's like where I want to build my portfolio and mostly. I'm obviously going to have both, mm -hmm. but I think it's going to be more so commercial. Mm. Just because I feel feel like uh, unless you go buy like a 50-unit apartment complex, yeah, you know, if you're buying a two-unit or a fourplex or whatever, you're somewhat going to deal with headaches. And I don't want my time going into that. So yeah. even if I, when I get, plan on getting into commercial, they're going to be like triple net leases. Right where you don't really like you're you're like, not you don't have any sort of like you're not dealing with anything with the with the tenants they're responsible for everything you're technically responsible for just the roof mm. that's about it so just focusing more so on that gotcha. just so I have my money parked somewhere and mm -hmm. I, I don't have to deal with the day to day and you know obviously hire a property manager and take it from there gotcha so going back to trading I got to ask you a classic question I'm sure so many people have asked you what's the biggest win that you've ever taken on a trade the biggest win uh i don't i think probably 200 and some grand this was like in february Jeez. uh but i think the biggest week i had was probably close to like 610 grand. oh my god and that's when i actually got the sv oh yeah 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 so i i think uh this was like towards uh in February, like I got the SV beforehand, but I think this year kind of justified it because I had like mm. such a big week. Right. And I wanted that car for like the longest time, even though I think cars are like the dumbest investment or mm -hmm. dumbest thing you can buy. But uh, it was the week where I think Tesla had a great week and Spy was, you know, setting up on great opportunities. 
and I just went on with the proper size. That's crazy. Yeah. You spent like 65% of the money you made in like a week. Yeah, yeah. Right and, Cause you bought it brand new. Yeah. All in I cash. wasn't brand new. It was, uh, they stopped making it, I think in 2017 or 2018. Oh really? They came out with the SVJ. Oh, okay. But you know, I look at numbers and things a lot too. So the SVJ, since it just came out, it was priced at a higher level. Like 650? Uh, it was about 650. And the problem with the SVJ was they produced a lot more than the SV. Oh, really? Yeah. So the SV actually has a less count than the SVJ. Gotcha. So I looked at it from a perspective where I got a good deal on, on the car. And uh, the guy was willing to sell it to me right off the bat. And I went in. And yeah, I saw it was a whole presentation when you yeah, walked yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I literally, that, that was my dream car for the past three years. The SV. The SV Roadster. Not the SVJ. Not the, S, the SV, SV uh, Roadster. And when I got it, it's kind of like, okay, now that's out of my system. Mm -hmm. So I don't really care for cars anymore. I'm like kind of over it. Yeah. yeah. When you got it, what did that feel like? Like did, I always wonder with those types of cars, do they let you even test drive it before you buy it? Uh, yeah, I, I didn't test drive it, but they, they do. Like if they know you're a serious buyer, right? Like obviously you're going to go in and if you show proof of funds on certain people, especially if you've never been in that dealership, mm -hmm. they'll let you drive it because they don't want anyone to just come and add miles to the car. Yeah. You know, but I didn't, I didn't test drive it. I was, like the whole the whole story with that car was when I got to Miami, uh, I was like, I'm not gonna buy the car. I'm not gonna buy the car. I'm not gonna do anything. My sister goes to me, Hey, we should go to the Lamborghini dealership. And I was like, No, I'm scared. <laughs> I don't want to go because I'm not. I'm really trying to get myself away from every distraction. And I think having a car like that is a distraction because it attracts the wrong type of energy. Yeah, you want to go out and you want to do all these things. So I went to the dealership and I walked in and it was right there and I was like. Did it have the bow on it already? No, 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 okay. no, nothing. So I was like, oh man, I go to the guy and I'm like, you know, what's the guy asking for? And I just threw in a lower offer and I was like, I'll come in cash if, you know, he accepts it. And I didn't think he was going to take it. Mm -hmm. I was like, maybe he'll take it. Maybe he won't. Uh, he calls me with a higher offer the next day and we negotiate back and forth. And the same day the manager calls me like, hey, what do we have to do to get you to this car? And I gave him a number and he said, fine. Boom. And that was it. Gotcha. Yeah, it was. It, was, it felt. It felt good. Mm -hmm. But I, I. I also think um, another thing I've learned over the years is when you get anything materialistic and you have it after a while, that becomes normal to you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the first day I had that car or anything that's expensive, it's like, oh my god, you have to be super careful. It's great, blah blah. But after a while, you just stop caring at that level. Yeah. Because it becomes normal. Mm -hmm. So that's why I tell people don't attach yourself to materialistic things. Like they're good trophies. But don't, you know, have your happiness around that. Or your confidence linked or, to or, it. Yeah, 100%. Your confidence and happiness should be within you mm -hmm. and within things that actually matter, not something that's materialistic. Because if, if my happiness was in the car, now it's like, okay, I got this. Now I want to go get a Bugatti or a Ferrari right. or something. And then you're never happy. Right. Now, was the 570S, was that your first like... Uh, I had an i8 before that. Uh, oh, you did? Yeah, I had an i8 nice. before that. But it was, it was honestly a boring car. Yeah, I know. I had the i8 too. It's not a yeah. I saw it's not a it's not a fun car. Like it's fun, but it's like you don't hear the engine. There's no, no. like you know V10, V8, V12 engine, so it's not really fun. It's fun to look at. Yeah, yeah, that's about it. So I had that. Then I got the McLaren, uh, and then the SV. But now I'm at a point where it's I look at it and I'm like, oh, it's it's a waste of money. Which one do you think brought the best feeling? Uh, SV 100. percent SV. That that was like my dream car. Gotcha. Since I was younger, the McLaren was never really on the table. It just happened out the blue. Mm -hmm. But it was kind of the SV was that car that I I wanted. That McLaren, that is the exact color, exact interior that I would go. With. That is a beautiful Pretty combo. Sure, yeah. No, the car. I saw that car. Same thing. I walked in. I saw it. And I was like, wow. 
and just yeah. bought it that day. Yeah, I, I that that car I leased it. Mm, okay, I leased that one. The SV I bought. The reason I leased it, and I know a lot of people look at leases a lot different. Wait, you leased the McLaren? Yeah. I oh, okay. And I know people look at leases like, oh, if you lease a car, it's not your car. But I can put it down on paper on how in certain cars, not every car, leasing makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Right. So, for example, my my McLaren right now, uh, the value of it after my lease is a hundred and twenty thousand. Okay. Okay. When I bought the car, the MSRP was two sixty. Mm-hmm. After my lease is done, I probably paid about what. 26 30 60 about 90 grand okay right so if you add 90 grand what's that that puts the car at 170 mm-hmm. right at 170 so i paid 90 grand in the car on, on lease payments so after paying 90 grand lease payments that leaves the car's value at 170 but it's worth 120, 120. so i saved 50 grand because the problem with mclaren's is because they were new cars they didn't have a depreciation curve no one knows where they were going right. to depreciate to Right. So it's like if you buy it and they depreciate, you might take a hundred K or two hundred K hit without knowing where it's gonna fall to. Mm-hmm. So for me it was like lease it, write it off on the business, right? You don't have to put down a large payment, you don't have to pay a lot of tax, because if you buy a car, you're paying full tax on it. Uh and, and there's no large capital allocation. Like with my S V, the thing that bothers me, because I look at money from a completely different way, mm-hmm. is I have four hundred and fifty grand stuck in it. Yeah. So when I look at it, I'm like, oh, that money could be working for me. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like, that's what kind of sucks about buying a car, unless you obviously finance it, but I don't want to, I just didn't want to. For me, it's like, I told myself, if I ever buy a supercar, I'm, I'm paying cash. Yeah. I just don't want to have a payment on a supercar, even though financially it makes more sense. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm still like, I, I don't want to do that. Yeah. And your cars are all registered in Montana. Uh, my SV is, because I, I bought that. Gotcha. So I had like a business open up there a while ago, and one of my mentors or friends was hey, just save save the sales tax. Yeah. I mean, I know so many people do that, so. And that would, I mean, sales tax, that would have probably been, when in Florida, it's 10%. It would have been 40, 50 grand. <sighs> yeah, so, I mean, you know, it's kind of like the thing that happened with Trump, you know, how his tax returns came out and yeah. 750, and people are getting mad at Trump. It's like, don't get mad at Trump. You get know mad at I mean? the like, politicians yeah, who they, made they're that. The, they're the ones who made the tax codes. Right. And if you're smart enough, there's so many tax benefits out there that exist, but you just need to know how to, how to work around it, mm-hmm. right? And, and and America works in a way where it awards you for having your own business. Or real estate, or real especially. Estate. Yeah, especially real estate, you know? But if you have a job and you're getting a W-2, you're gonna pay the taxes because you're not really contributing to America's economy mm-hmm. the way like someone with real estate or a business would. So it's like for people that complain like, oh, Trump paid 750, he's so bad, no. Trump paid seven fifty in personal taxes, but you need to understand how taxes work. And he took advantage of the tax code that's created. And I'm pretty sure if anyone at that level was doing that, they would do the same thing. Right. You know, they'd, so. be, they'd be dumb not to. Yeah, exactly. Like so. when, it, when it comes to uh, being a businessman, it's all about saving as yeah, much money and, as Yeah, and taxes are, are the biggest killer here. You know, in, in California, you're paying about 50% plus taxes. You know, if you're making a certain amount, federal is about 37 and then state is a 13% plus, and then you're paying other other taxes so it's you're paying 50 percent more on your income which is insane do you plan on mainly living in california the rest of your life uh that's the plan for now i mean uh i i primarily moved down here i recently got engaged so I moved and is your fiance here. from here yeah she's gotcha. from here so that's why i moved down here uh so i was originally in new york up until january of this year i moved down to florida for taxes 
And also because this year I'm starting Tradezilla, so I wanted complete isolation and focus. Oh, so you literally just moved to Florida in yeah, January. I moved, wow. Yeah, so it was- You've it, been all over. It, it was a crazy year. So I moved from New York to Florida in January. Uh, then me and my fiance, we we started you know communicating around like January-ish, February-ish, and then things started taking off. And then I came down here in May, not really expecting to move down here, but things started going well. And then we got engaged in June and I was like, you know what? I, I don't want to do a long distance relationship. Let me move down here, picked up everything and moved down the next day. Wow. And uh, it's been great. Just the tax situation is what I kind of got to figure out. Yeah, that's my, been my issue with like mentally going, should I move to California now? Because I wanted to move here since I was 10 and I finally did. And then COVID hit and it's like, okay, I could stay, pay so much more in rent do all this just to not get pretty much any of the benefits I was coming here to get in Los Angeles, especially back then. Cause I thought it was going to be real, real bad. Luckily it seems like things are getting better, but yeah, the fact that they're going up to 17 and a half percent state when they're already ridiculously high at 12 and a half, right? Yeah. If they go to 17 and a half, then I'm, I'm, I'm going to, there's no way I'm paying 17 and a half. There's mm. no way I, I think at that, there's no real benefit. I think, in California that justifies paying 17 and a half percent, you know? So I think at that point, it's either you, you get a place in Florida, live there for six months and then come here and keep that your primary instead of paying that 17 and a half percent. Because what people understand is when the numbers get bigger, that 17 and a half percent gets wide. Oh yeah. You know, it's like, let's just say on a million bucks, you're paying 175 K more mm -hmm. for absolutely nothing. Yeah. And then when you go to let's say 10 million, that's 1.7 million paid for nothing. Yeah, you know, so there's there's no way I've, I've and it only gets scarier the more oh, yeah. income you go up. Yeah, and, and you know that's one thing I've learned, where one component is making money, and then the second component is how to keep it. Yeah, right. How to like obviously invest it the right way. How to avoid paying a lot of taxes. Uh, how to set up proper corporations and so on to pay yourself in a way to avoid paying a lot of taxes. And there's a lot of structures and loopholes, if you want to call them, that exist for our benefit mm -hmm. to avoid all of that. Gotcha. You know, and, and the idea is to learn that and take advantage or have the proper team around you mm -hmm. that can guide you through it. Yep. You seem like a very, very laser focused type of person. Were you always like that? Uh, I, I think uh, yes and no. I think I, I was laser focused in what I was doing. So up until 17, I wasn't really into business. Uh, I was more just playing basketball. Yeah. I think my, my business sense kind of kicked in more so when I turned 18. And that's where I was like, okay, I, I need to figure out a way to like really make it to the top. Mm -hmm. And I think what kicked in more and being laser focused is just looking at people in the industry that are really doing well mm -hmm. and not letting people get to your head and say, oh, you made a million bucks. Great. You know, you're doing so great for your age. No, like, well, that person made 50 million. And you know what I mean? And just, I think that keeps you going. And, and when you have that type of mindset, you never really get content in a way where you stop moving forward mm -hmm. and the structure of course oh yeah 100 percent. i need that structure yeah and i think another thing i kind of figured out because i went through a little bit of like depression when i was like 22 mm -hmm. uh this is when i started making a little bit of money and you know it was like okay now what you know because there's certain people that are really driven by money mm -hmm. and certain people when they give money they're like okay like, now what for me I, I feel like yes money drives me but not as much so when i hit that stage it was like, okay, let me buy the i8. Then I was like, let me buy the McLaren. Let me go travel. Let me do this. And, and nothing really brought that fulfillment. And I think that's where you need a deeper purpose. And I know people talk about it, but I think people don't go in depth with it. But the idea is to know 
why are you doing the things that you're doing? Mm -hmm. Right. So for me, that's like I said before, I wasn't born here. I was born in Pakistan. I came here when I was five years old. So I look at it from a perspective of to work harder and keep raising the bar higher so I can actually eventually build schools back home. Because gotcha. people back home don't have the opportunities that we have. Now, Pakistan is wow. a third, third world co country. So people back home do not have any sort of opportunities that we have here. So for me, it's like every time I feel lazy or not productive, it's like, damn, I'm letting them down. Mm. You know, so I need to work higher, build myself up to a higher level so I can accumulate more money and start really making a big change back there. And I wow. think when you have that purpose, it drives you even on the days where you don't want to do anything. Gotcha. So philanthropy is necessary. Oh yeah, one hundred. I, I I I think it depends on you. For some people, they don't care, right? I I know certain people that that are like, no, it's my money. I don't want to do it. But I mm -hmm. think you need to find what drives you. If more money drives you, and that's going to make you perform better, go. You know, make make that your your thing. But I don't think everyone's wired the same way. Mm -hmm. Like for me, I I I feel like if you tell me, hey, keep working hard, you'll make a million bucks, a, a billion bucks. Great, a billion is great. But then I know me, I'm going to get in my head and say, okay, like now what? Cool, you get a better car, better house, better health, better this, better that, right? But ultimately, I'm going to feel empty. Mm -hmm. So what's going to provide me that, you know, factor of like drive? And that drive kind of dies down when you make a certain amount of money. Yeah. Because obviously, when I was first starting out, it was, I need to make money, I need to make money. Mm -hmm. When you make money and you get to a certain point, you're like, okay, like now what? So that's where you need that ultimate purpose. Gotcha. Yeah, I think my motivator is pure freedom. And when I was like, um, like when I was like working out of the restaurants and everything, I thought freedom was not working for anybody. And then when I started doing Uber and Lyft out here, I was like, this doesn't feel too free because I'm doing like 60, 70 hours a week, but I'm technically still working for myself. Mm -hmm. And then when I started drop sharing, making good money, um, you know, I got, when I got my aid and everything, I thought that was freedom. Then I got, I'm like, this isn't freedom yet. True freedom is being able to go back to Pakistan, open mm -hmm. those schools. Of course. True freedom is being able to hop on the jet right now and go to South Africa. Oh yeah. 100%. Like I always looked at private jets as the skeleton key to the world. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. And to get to that level, that's like a whole nother level of wealth where it's just like, yeah, I could live that. I could live my life right now for like a while, right? Now. Even if I stopped all my income streams, I could just live whatever I want. But true freedom in a world this big, with so many opportunities, with so many things you can do to contribute back, that's that's my ultimate goal. The the freedom factor. And it's so interesting that what I thought was freedom wasn't really freedom. Yeah, yeah. Same here. What I thought was freedom five years ago was obviously not freedom. For me, I think this year the biggest wake up call was the fact that I was able to go from New York to Miami and then pick up my stuff from Miami and come here and just immediately buy a house and settle in without really double thinking about it. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and I think that also has a lot to do with freedom. And when you see things like that happen, I think that should also kind of drive you to to push higher. Yes. Is this going to be your biggest year yet? Yeah. 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 I'm just trying to push, push the bar every year. But it won't be nothing to compare next year, right? Yeah. Next year, the way I'm setting up for things in the next three months, right? Because because I think where a lot of people mess up, and this is where I used to mess up, I used to go, it's it's kind of like a saying, I, I heard this saying, if you give a dumb person an ax and you tell him to chop, chop a tree down, he's gonna get working right away. But if you give a smart person an ax and say chop a tree down, he's gonna sharpen the ax the first two hours Ooh. and then go start chopping the tree down. Oh, that is right? beautifully put. So, so the whole idea is to position yourself in a way where you give up short-term money or short-term profits or short-term gains to set yourself up in that position where once you're set up the right way, 
you're just gonna like fly mm -hmm. right so the way i'm planning things the next three months uh there's gonna be like hopefully if things go well right a lot of growth right and and that's what i'm aiming for next year like next year should be a very good year inshallah and do you have any business venture new business ventures you're thinking about starting or is it the main three uh just the main three i don't want to you know divert my focus away from them and and start focusing on different stuff uh, i think the biggest one is tradezilla i think if i can scale that the right way and really really grow that i think that could be huge mm -hmm. and obviously usher capital and just getting the proper traders going on and, and funding them and growing them i think that those two hand in hand could be you know two big ventures for me and with your capital business you plan on pretty much kind of like diverging into they do the trading for your money and then you don't trade at all like do, do you want to trade the rest of your life no. Or, okay no so I, that's why you're setting this up yeah i, I don't want gotcha. to i'm i'm at a point where i like trading and trading's been great but i don't want to trade for the rest of my life mm -hmm. like I, I i think within probably a year or two honestly i might like stop trading really like i, I think uh you know i want to go more into like the software side of, of stuff and creating more software for you know trading stuff and, and having like an actual firm where people are trading my capital and I'm taking percentages instead of me actively just just trading. Time for money. Yeah, exactly. So just trying to scale that as much as possible. Gotcha. So do you, do you ever feel like you're burnt out on trading? Uh, I feel like I'm burnt out on a lot of stuff. And I think that's like the biggest thing that happened with me and my fiance, where I think when she came in, right, that burnt out aspect kind of went away. Oh, really? Right? Because before, before her, it was kind of, oh, I, I never want to get married. Or I don't want to get married for a long time. And then like after meeting her and after having her in my life, I realized like the importance of like having the right people around you because I feel like they keep you on track, keep you focused and also help you kind of rejuvenate, mm -hmm. right? And I think that's super important because before her, it was just, I was in a space where work, 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 work and do this and even go on vacation, whatever, but you wouldn't really feel rejuvenated. So yeah. like having that proper energy around you, right? that can rejuvenate you and keep you focused is like, I think super, super important. And that's helped me actually a lot more. And I think it happened at the perfect year with trades on all these things going on with that person to come in my life and just kind of help me get to the next level. Yeah. yeah, super, super important and super, super rare. Yeah, yeah, 100%, man. Well, congratulations on that. When do you plan on getting married? Uh, I think Corona kind of destroys our timeline, mm -hmm. but I, I would say somewhere next year, like in the summertime? Probably summertime. Summertime, maybe earlier, but I think Corona is what's kind of holding it back. You know, maybe worst case, worse, we get another wave and, you know, we plan for summer and it can't happen. Or, you know, best case scenario, Corona dies down the next month, they come out with the vaccine. Yeah. Now we can start kind of planning. So yeah. I would say with the next year sometime. And that just reminded me something I really wanted to tell you. I love, um, like when you post a photo with her, you tag your trade. Oh, your yeah, trade yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I think I understand why you do that because... I like too much of the personal life online leads to some weird, weird stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've seen it in my own personal life. Yeah. So if I ever get a fiance or just like a uh, a legit like girlfriend I haven't had in a while, just because I mean, like I've been focused on, yeah, on this yeah. stuff, you know, mm -hmm. uh, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to take your strategy if you don't mind. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, listen, I, I it's, it's you know what it is with social media. It's like a lot of people, the thing with social media is a lot of people think they know your life, mm -hmm. but they don't only know what, you know, obviously we show them. Yeah. Right. And I think keeping certain things off and private yes. is very important because you don't want that noise out there of like, who's this person messaging DM and, you know, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on. So you want to kind of distinguish, distinguish yourself from that and separate from that. Oh, yeah.
I could tell a story too about those situations. Yeah, yeah, same here, same here. Yeah. So, Wait, were you not doing that originally? Uh, no, I mean, I've, I've never been in that situation to, you know, like I was never engaged before any mm-hmm. type of serious thing. But uh, it's just I've seen a lot of people around me get into problems. Oh, yeah. Especially when they put out personal things out in social media. Yeah. You know, uh, with me, it's I only show what I want people to see that, you know, can't really become a big thing. Yeah. You know, like even like up until me and my fiance, we were talking, like no one knew about it. Oh, really? Like, yeah, up until like I got engaged. It was, oh, shit, I got engaged. You know? Oh, okay. yeah. So it was like no one really knew anything because it's none of it's not anyone's business. Right. And even like what I do on a day to day, it's like a lot of things I avoid posting because it's like it's not anyone's like there's no benefit, mm-hmm. you know, to me because my whole social media idea is I'm going to post things that are going to benefit stock market lab, trade Zello or my personal brand that relates to trading. Now, if this doesn't really relate, then it doesn't matter. Even like me posting my fiance, I think it has more to do with the ideology of showcasing like, oh, I'm a real human. It's not just, mm-hmm. you know, like an Instagram of showing the cool stuff. It's real stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a really great point. And that's a, that's a disconnect a lot of people have is they see someone online and they think they know them. That's why, like, sometimes I'll get recognized in Los Angeles and it's so weird. Like, they'll mention one thing I said in, like, a video a year and a half ago and they're like, so tell me, why why did you think that way? And I'm like, I don't remember thinking that. I don't that. Even remember that, yeah, yeah. You know, so it, it's, very, it's very strange. Like, have you ever been out in public and, and people come up to you and recognize you from YouTube? Oh, yeah, YouTube? a few times, yeah, YouTube, Instagram. I think it's it's primarily, like, I, I, w- I just came from uh, New York the other day, mm-hmm. and the uh, stewardess on the plane, she recognized me. Oh, really? Yeah, she was like, oh, you're, you're the guy from Stock Market Lab, right? You're Omar, and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, because it's, it's primarily the people that are in that space of trading, and same thing for you, people that are in e-commerce, mm-hmm. people that are, you know, watching podcasts and so on. Uh, but sometimes it's cool, but sometimes, you know, some people just come, come off a little, oh, you suck at trading or how's your spy in, play in person? Yeah. Like if oh I had that God. in Miami, it was actually bad because when I took that position, I remember, uh, at the end of April or beginning of May, I was driving and someone was in the car and they go, how's that spy position going? Oh my you know, God. I'm just like, oh man, you, oh my God. Like, you can't be serious, you know? So, <laughs> I mean, that's what comes with it. Yeah. One, th- I think it's one of those things where a lot of people they'll feel inferior to you mm-hmm. and they just wait until that moment you mess up oh yeah yeah i see that with celebrities all the time when they'll do one thing bad and it's thousands of hate comments uh-huh. is because now finally i can feel superior to someone who's made me feel inferior but that's all in the head i i always say the only people the only people that you're better than are the people who think that they're better than others because you're, no, I've never seen no human or anything like that. Uh, I've never looked at him like I'm better than him. But it like makes me sick to my stomach when certain people like talk about others in a way where they put them down or anything like that. As if they think, as if you think you are actually better than this person. I mean, if we get into like murderers and stuff like that, that yeah, might, that's, that's a whole different, different story. Yeah. I think you just got to be careful with those type of people. Like for example, like let's just say you and I are talking about a certain individual. Let's say bring a Bob and you you go off and you say, yeah, well, you know, that Bob's actually not good or he's a bad person. I'm immediately going to step away from you. Yeah. You know, because now I don't know Bob's side. I, like, and the fact that you're going to go talk bad about Bob makes me think you might do that same See, thing. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I think people need to be careful with their friend group because, for example, someone might go and say, oh, Scott, like, let's just say I don't like you. I might say, you know, Scott, he's, he's not good at e-commerce. He sucks. Yeah. But it, that might be because I don't like you, mm-hmm. you know, and not because you suck at e-commerce. Now I'm creating a bad persona of you because of what I feel about you and what I feel about you might be jealousy, mm-hmm. you know. And now if I have a friend 
who doesn't have a brain, he might say, yeah, well, Scott's fake. Scott's bad. Scott's this, Scott's that. And then that starts spreading around without people having common sense. Yeah. So I think if you're around those type of people that just spread negativity, just be like, all right, I don't, I don't want to hear it. Yeah, it's like for myself. When, you t when you say someone else has a bad persona, it kind of brings a bad persona exactly. on yourself. Exactly. Have you ever had any like YouTube videos made about you where people tried to do that? I mean, I had one guy make make one, but it was it was honestly the stupidest video. The guy goes, oh, Umar Shiv's a scam. Why? Because day trading is not real. <laughs> but here, buy my $400 course. Oh, is that? Yeah. Okay. I, I was like, like, what are you like, you know, what are you saying? So. I've had one so far, but I think as you grow, mm -hmm. you're gonna have more people come in, obviously say stuff. Yeah. But the idea is just to cut them out, not really give it any energy and just focus on yourself. I, I took a, a, a kind of a different approach when someone made one about me. I didn't g give in too much like focus or anything, but then I noticed it started ranking higher and higher. And like, I'd have family like look up my name and it would be like the third video. Oh, wow. And then it ended up getting like three and a half thousand views when this kid's other videos are doing like 120, 130 oh, wow. views. And so that's why I kept it. So instead of like lashing out of them, like a lot of people would be like, oh, I'm going to sue you. Because the, the only thing he said basically was Scott's a scam because he has a course that makes him money. And it's I like, that's the stupidest thing. And he like went through my dropshipping stories. He's like, yeah, he, I mean, he, he did make like, you know, a hundred thousand here on this month. But if you do the math, you only made like 10,000 that month. And it's like, yeah, of course. But guess what? If I said I made 100,000 that, I mean, uh, uh, a million that month, and you you would have done the same thing. Oh, you only made 10%, so you only made 100,000 that month. It's just like, people look for ways to convince themselves why oh, yeah, they're yeah. not in that position. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And in that certain situation, instead of like threatening him or something like that, I just messaged him. I'm like, hey, man, I've... I just wanted to chat with you. Um, I'm just wondering why you made this video because it was such an obvious thing where it was clickbaity. Like it had a picture of my face and it said scam right across wow. the top. And it was just like, you're kind of slandering my name to my friends. And like, and he's like, yeah, you know, I agree. And then we basically got, got to talking and he admitted he only made that video because he wanted to grow his own YouTube channel. Yeah, I think that's what sucks about the space because people are going to, you know, bash you. Or like I, I hear it all the time. Oh, Omar's a scam because he has a course. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, how is that a scam? Like, just because I teach what I do is not a scam. They're like, no. If you're making so much money from trading, why are you teaching it? And I'm like, okay, you want me to give you the business answer, or you want me to give you a political answer? Business aspect is because I can multiply myself and obviously make more money. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not gonna lie and say while helping I'm, people. Yeah, at the same time, you're helping people. You also, because for me, it took me two and a half years to learn trading. We have people in our community that they're doing good in six months, eight months. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, they're getting the knowledge. At the end of the day, I'm making a business out of my mistakes and my my real errors. Now, there's a difference if I don't make money trading like a lot of people and I'm just teaching information. But yeah. I have videos of me logging into my account showcasing profit. So where's the argument? Yeah. You know, so I think people that argue that are just not smart. It's so funny. It's like people will call a scam on a five hundred dollar, one thousand dollar course, and then that's while they're paying twenty five thousand a year in college. Yeah, that, yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? So it's like, why would an economics teacher teach economics if he's a professor where he can go be? You know what I mean? Like it, it doesn't make sense. And did you know this? They have entrepreneurship classes now in college. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow, I had no idea. A weird story about that is when I was in college, I needed money, so I made a, a leaf raking company. And I, I guys made it funny. I had a suit on and I was like, I'll rake the hell out of your leaves or something like that. I hung them up everywhere. And this one dentist guy actually called me up. He's like, we couldn't stop laughing at that pamphlet coming to our leaves. So I did the leaves and then they gave me five job leads. They go, just mention our name anywhere here. Wow. 
and you'll get a job. And I got a job, but fast forward three years, I'm dropped out of college. And this is when I started like making something of myself. I told my friend that story. I showed her the pamphlet and she goes, oh my God, Scott, wow. they're teaching about you in entrepreneurship class. Wow. They don't know anything about my e-commerce or any of that. They're literally taking that situation. That situation. Yeah. And that was such a powerful moment for me because the college I dropped out of is teaching about me in entrepreneurship class. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. What are the chances of that? Yeah, right? That's insane. That's, that's super inspiring though. That's dope. So we're wrapping up this podcast right now. What do you want the people to know? What do you, what, what's, what's missing in a lot of people's minds that you want to fill right now? Uh, trading related or anything. Just in terms of mindset, because I'm telling you, those Q and A's. I'm glad you keep doing them because they're some of the things in your head. Other people need in their head in order to get to a position like yourself. Sure. So I I think the biggest thing, obviously, mindset is very important, but it's it's understanding your mind. So I think one of the main things, and I I really religiously talk about this. Everyone should do is meditate. Number yeah. One, meditation, meditation, meditation. Every single day, if you want to develop consistency and discipline, meditate every single day and at the same time. Why? Because now you know that you have to go and, and do something that is not really required from you, but you have to do it to get to the next level, to meditate and get your mind at the same level. Because the thing is, when you're a business owner and when you become an entrepreneur, you don't have anyone coming and telling you, hey, Scott, make sure this is done by 10 p.m. Yeah, you need to know this needs to be done by 10 p.m. And having that willpower is not easy. Right. So if you can start off by doing one simple thing, such as every morning at 7 a.m., I'm going to meditate from 7 to 7.20, no matter how I'm feeling. You automatically start wiring your brain to do things that you don't want to do. And no matter how you feel, that starts carrying over to other things. Wow. So now whenever you do anything else, whatever it may be, your mind already broke that resistance level of not doing things based on how it feels. So it's like if you want to go to the gym and you don't feel like doing it, it's easier for you to get up and go do it because your mind's already wired. Wow. Right? And there's something called neuroplasticity where you can actually rewire your brain to be how you want it to be. And how did you learn how to do that? I'm just reading a lot of psychology books. Like I think that has been like the biggest, you know, thing for me, just reading on psychology, reading on how we think, how we process things, how people act, how they react to situations, how our mind tricks us, plays games. And learning that just allows you to learn so much about yourself and about the ecosystem in any business. So you can actually apply that. And I think that's like I think if you were to take psychology, the psychology information out of my head, I think 80, 90% of my success would be gone. Oof. Like right off the bat. That's powerful. Yeah, right off the bat. What was the most powerful book, do you think, that contributed uh, to that? I mean, I, I read a few psychology books. None, none are coming to my mind right now, but uh, there, there were like a bunch of different psychology books. One was like Art of Thinking Clearly. I know it was a good one. Mm. Uh, Mindfulness and Trading. That was like a trading psychology book. Uh, there was the power of your subconscious mind, like different books like that, just kind of focusing on how we think and how our thoughts kind of, you know, control us and how we have so many mental blind spots, right? And then when you learn about that, you know, you're learning more about your brain because our brain is a whole hardware. Mm -hmm. And if you can master your brain, you can literally master or do anything. Wow. And, and I think it just comes down to that. 100%. And in terms of meditation, what type of meditation do you do? Uh, I just do. I know there's a lot of different types of meditation. and I want to get into different types. But right now, I'm, I'm just doing like I have the Calm app. Mm -hmm. So I literally put that on and they have like this feature where it's like it makes a noise every two seconds. So every time you hear that noise, I breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, breathe out 15 minutes, sometimes even more if I'm feeling super overwhelmed or 
anxious or whatever the case may be. Actually, the guy who started Calm, he used to be head of Pinterest. That's what in Social Dilemma. Did you notice that? It was like former uh, CEO of Pinterest, founder of Calm. It's like, okay. Oh, wow. I he, had no idea. Wow. Yeah, he understood that we needed that. Wow. I, my mentor has been recommended Transcendental. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Have you heard about yeah, that? Yeah, about the Ray Dalio. I don't know if you know about Ray Dalio. Is that who started it? He didn't start it, but he's, he's the billionaire hedge fund guy. Uh, he wrote the book, The Principles. Okay. Yeah, he that's he said that's what actually got him out of like the biggest you know problems out of his life to that's keep him focused and that's and, what jerry seinfeld said yeah yeah so it's it's huge yeah that's what i'm gonna be getting to because i never been like that's the thing where i come from no one really talks about meditation too much but i think we're kind of having as a whole human race like we're having a, a mental awakening right oh, yeah, now 100 percent. and i you definitely see it. it's like especially with the world's kind of in turmoil right now but people are like mentally waking so it's like a yin and yang. So it's going to be interesting where it goes. Yeah, no, I think everyone should implement that into their daily lives 100%. Definitely. I'm going to order those books right after this. Oh, too. yeah, 100%. Let me know. I'll, I'll give you the links and so. so. Definitely. Not sure. And you should check out Outwitting the Devil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most gonna, interesting book I've I'm ever gonna read. I'm going to check it out. I'm going to check that book out. I've heard about it. I skimmed through it, I think, four or five years ago, but I never really like read it. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna. I'm definitely going to check that book out. Yeah, there's some powerful stuff yeah, in there. definitely will. Well, Omar, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so this. much, man. Thank you for having me. It was, uh, it, was, it, was, it was a pleasure being on here. Yeah, this is the people are going to love this one. People Thanks are really so love this one. Appreciate it, man. Thank I you. Can't, I think we did like, oh, wow. I think we did an hour and a half. That felt like two hours. Yeah. yeah I felt like, uh, yeah. It, wow. If I didn't have to keep getting up the turn, yeah, the camera yeah, would have been, like been. Yeah, the time would have just flew by. Yeah. Yeah, that was good, man. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, man. Appreciate it. Perfect. Cool.